This is Guidepost, a new podcast from the publishers of The CRISPR Journal. Hello, I'm Kevin Davis, executive editor of The CRISPR Journal, covering the cutting edge of CRISPR research technology and gene editing. On episode five of Guidepost, we're talking gene editing in plants with Neil Gutterson, the chief technology officer of Corteva AgriScience. This episode of Guidepost is brought to you by Synthigo, increasing accessibility to CRISPR through its portfolio of engineered cells, products, and CRISPR kits. Learn more at synthigo.com. Many commentators believe that the first true commercial realization of CRISPR technology won't be in the medical arena, but in agricultural biotechnology. Corteva is not yet a household name, but the agricultural division resulting from the recent Dow-DuPont merger soon will be. I recently sat down with Neil Gutterson, Corteva's chief technology officer, to hear more about the genesis of Corteva and the broader potential applications of gene editing in plants. So on this episode of Guidepost, I'm delighted to be joined by Neil Gutterson from Corteva. Neil, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. You are our first plant scientist on the program, so uh, it's going to be great to uh, to delve into some of the key uh, areas of interest for uh, for your company and for the plant ag bio world in general as they you know take advantage of CRISPR gene editing. So first of all, a little bit of your background. Tell us uh, uh, how you came to Corteva. What's your background? Sure. Well, well first of all, today I'm the uh, Chief Technology Officer for Corteva. Um, I uh, got out of grad school back in 1982. It was the beginning of uh, biotech, molecular biology. Yeah. And um, I went to a first company in 1983, Advanced Genetic Sciences, and worked in small companies all my life, ending up as the CEO of Mendel Biotechnology in 2007. And then um, Pioneer had a Pioneer Seeds had an opening for someone leading the biotech group, and I thought, what an opportunity for okay. a little later in my career to, okay. to um, lay down a little bit of a legacy for the future. And then here we are with Corteva coming together as a uh, really major, major ag opportunity. Okay. Mendel Biotechnology, what a great name. How, what happened to them? Um, so Mendel was, had a great idea about uh, transcription factor regulation yeah. being used to give us stress tolerance and yield improvement in crops. Okay. And the technology actually had some real success. Uh, at the end of the day, we ended up moving in some other directions. Part of the company was sold, and that's when I decided it was time to move on to something uh, okay. even more interesting. So where does Corteva come from? Yeah, so um, it's, a, it's a, a nice story, I think. Um, Dow and DuPont, in the end of 2015, decided to merge and right. form three separate companies out of that. Right. Um, a materials company, a specialty products company, and an ag company. And the ag company coming from a DuPont, two DuPont companies and the Dow AgriScience company. We've been on a long journey um, organizing that, um, and in, the merger happened in September. The name we um, announced in February just this year, and yeah. core from the heart, Teva, uh, a Hebrew word meaning nature. Okay. So our purpose is at the heart of nature. And uh, I think a lot of our scientists and I'm a lot getting, of our I'm getting goosebumps. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> um, so it, and it's, our purpose is to um, enrich the lives of uh, those who produce and those who consume. So we okay. care about farmers and the end consumer uh, and the food supply. Okay. How big is the company? Um, so you can measure that in a number of ways. We're um, approaching a $15 billion a year division of Dow DuPont today. We'll wow. be a separate company within about a year. Right. Um, and we're some 22,000 plus employees. Okay. And the R&D organization is a pretty good chunk of that. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what is, um, whether it's Corteva or, or the, the organizations, the companies that preceded and gave rise to Corteva, what has been their history in gene editing, obviously predating CRISPR? Right. So, um, you know, there were two seed trait biotech groups, let's say, coming in from Dow and from the Pioneer Seeds yeah. business. Each of them had work going on to explore um, genome editing technology. And yeah. in some ways, the focus, because of the cost early on, was really for targeted um, biotech traits. Can you put a biotech trait just where you want it in the genome, rather than the, the, that gene going somewhere randomly in the genome? But um, And so, so Dow had done a major deal with Sangamo, um, working on Zinc Fingers, oh. created a whole brand called Exact. Um, made some really nice progress. And then Pioneer had explored each of these technologies, okay. found them all a bit wanting. Yeah. Um, and then here we are in 2012 and, and CRISPR comes along. Right. And was the purpose of that research to get a step ahead of GMOs, what we consider traditional genetically modified organisms or foods, where you're taking a foreign gene and putting it in? That was Is, is that really the end goal, to cut that out of the equation? No. Actually, I think the early days, it was to make that um, uh, easier to do, better to do, more okay. efficient to do. Yeah. But because it was still a complex technology to deploy, and the great thing is about, for biotech, you can find one landing pad on the genome and use a reagent over and over again. Yeah. But for genome editing, you want to be able to have the, the diversity of, you know, tremendous numbers of reagents, and CRISPR gives us that opportunity. Right. So that opened up the opportunity to do something totally different Biotech's going to be part of um, the GMOs, part of the landscape in ag and crop improvement for a long time. But we now have an opportunity to actually just do what we call targeted breeding, and that is to edit the genome. And so no foreign genes are brought in, and um, we can do essentially mutagenesis or just work and combine natural alleles. And that is a phenomenal opportunity for crop improvement to deliver some value for our farmers more quickly. Interesting that you mentioned Sangamo a minute ago, which of course is the first uh, company in the U.S. at least leading a gene editing clinical trial, a couple of trials I guess now, um, using zinc fingers. Mm. So uh, is there still, before we talk more about CRISPR, is mm. there still a role for those older, more traditional forms of gene editing in what you're doing? Yeah, I mean, as you know, clearly the technology has value. Many people have really improved them, whether it's zinc fingers or talons. Yeah. I mean, there are people working with talons in the ag sector and okay. having some success. But um, for us, we feel like we need to focus on one technology, yeah. right? And CRISPR can do everything we need it to do. And yeah. so that's our focus today. Okay. Um, 2007, of course, uh, DuPont had a, a, a historic role, yes. really, in the evolution or in the CRISPR timeline. What can you tell us a little bit about yeah. that from your perspective? Yeah, so I, you know, I came to um, the, the legacy company Pioneer for part of Corteva in 2014, yeah. in summer 14. So I know the history, yeah. only by history. But but Philippe and Rodolphe, um, as part of Denisco, bought by DuPont. Um, that discovery, of course, was seminal, as we know. Um, I got to know Rodolphe through um, working together at the board of Caribou okay. and um, learned some of that history through him, of course. Yeah. But it was a really important part of the DuPont connection because, of course, that group knew um, people like Virgus Cisneus. Yes. And um, so the science team in 2012-13 at DuPont in the Pioneer Seed business had an easy connection to start working with Virgus. And we've worked with him ever since. Great partner, um, exploring new um, new enzymes, new tools, uh, new ways to improve um, you know, editing technology. Virgus Sixness Cavalier Award winner, we should yeah, add. There so you go. That's, that's great. Um, what uh, and and it, you bring up Virgis, and of course he has some uh, big patents in this arena. Is there's been a lot talked about? We've 
we've interviewed Jacob Schurkow on this program about the whole <clears throat> patent, uh, ongoing patent dispute uh, with regards particularly to sort of therapeutic applications of CRISPR. But in the plant world, is that more or less settled and everyone's sort of getting along pretty well? <laughs> uh, <laughs> just chuckling a little bit. Okay. Um, well, you know, to be honest, the... Um, Clearly, the, the interests in, in outcomes, therapeutics, plants, other areas, um, it, it fragments a little bit. So yeah. the IP, you know, battles are out there. But um, we believe that um, it's important for this technology to be used very broadly in yeah. agriculture. Yeah. And whether it's a small company with a great idea or an international ag organization serving smallholder farmers in Africa or Asia, we think it's really important they all use it. We did through this process, acquired the rights to some of the inventions that Vergus had made, seminal okay. inventions early on. Yeah. Um, also to some of the, the uh, critical IP from UC Berkeley. Okay. And so in the ag sector, this in particular, yeah. we had really important rights. Yeah. The Broad, of course, had some also important rights that are relevant to ag. And we came together just about a year ago uh -huh. and sat down and thought, you know, we need to make these technologies available in sort of tandem. Right. So people who have a starting a small company have sort of a one-shop way to get access to the market. Right. And we did that. We announced the deal back in October. Um, and so in the ag world, I mean, there's many routes besides Cas9. Yeah. But from the Cas9 side, there's a path. Yeah. And, and we're licensing this technology and having dozens of conversations today about yeah. licenses. So if we just step back for a second, and I'm just curious, uh, for your view, sort of the Corteva grand view, what what is the sort of the, the full potential of CRISPR with regard to some of the questions we posed at the beginning of our, our interview, uh, you know, improving the food chain yep. and so on. Yep. Um, so the the uh, this technology can do two broad sorts of things in my in my view. First of all, um, people have been breeding crops for for generations, and at least in a f fundamental way, go back to Mendel, right, 150 years ago. Yeah. Um, and so the technology can be used simply to improve the delivery of the same sorts of traits we've been trying to breed for for a long time yeah. and improve our breeding systems. And that's important. If we can bring out a new variety two years sooner, that's real value to the farmer. Yeah. And in a time with climate change and different pathogens and pests, that's a really important yeah. value. At the same time, you know, essentially through mutagenesis, we can actually um, improve specific traits that the consumer might want or the yeah. farmer might want. Yeah. And so I think in 10 to 15 years, we're going to see, you know, across the planet, uh, the, the broad use in a, a wide range of crops by a wide range of people and delivering a wide range of ap applications and value for consumers. And I can we can talk about a few of those yeah. examples, I think, for us, yeah. but also for others. I think that would be really meaningful. Well, let's go on Good. right, right okay. there. And we can go with that. Okay. You, you go and do that. So, so, you know, for us, as I said, uh, clearly in the farmer side, there's a lot of value for improved yield, improved sustainability, yeah. because we can get, you know, higher yield per, per acre. We can get reduced input use, yeah. whether that's fertilizer or other inputs, water. Um, and so an example there would be that um, in India, where labor is getting more expensive and less available for, for paddy rice farming and water is getting less available, yeah. next 10 or 15 years, the move to more and more dry rice production yeah. systems, and we can all kind of conceive of that, yeah. is going to require the combination of a number of traits in rice. Yeah. And that can be facilitated significantly by editing technology like CRISPR. Right. Right. Um, maybe another example is um, some scientists in Japan have shown that um, in tomatoes, which accumulate GABA, which is an anti-hypertensive compound, phytonutrient, 
um, they can actually increase that level by a single you know change by editing to give a tenfold increased level of of an antihypertensive phytonutrient. And so the idea of selling a heart healthy tomato, because we now see this confluence of food and health and agriculture. Mm. So that's an exciting example, mm. I think, of a wide ranging type. Um, the banana uh, is subject to some very important diseases. Um, uh, the Cavendish banana that we all love to eat, and certainly in, in North America, um, is, uh, is really threatened by a particular disease. And that can be solved in a single step by introducing a disease-resistance allele for right. fusarium, the pathogen, into our standard banana. Right. Uh, I'll give you one other example. Yeah. We're, we're, we're in sunflowers as part of our, uh -huh. our seed portfolio. Europe, very important crop. Um, the European market is looking for alternatives to palm oil. The Europeans really don't like palm oil. It's being produced in Malaysia and Indonesia. There's this fear about um, uh, the loss of, of land being converted into palm oil production. Sunflower could be, with some pretty simple edits, turned into a palm oil replacement. Mm -hmm. And again, the, the beauty of the technology to me is when societal major needs can be addressed by emerging technologies, not where technology is looking and hunting for yeah. a solution. And this is another great example of that. And are you um, pleased with the recent announcement from the USDA, which is about a month or two mm. months ago, that, as, and you should explain it better than <laughs> I can, but they're not going to regulate or um, interfere with uh, plants that have uh, been crispered so long as they are, that CRISPR engineering is essentially uh, bringing about a, 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 a strain or a breed that could naturally occur. Right. Is that, did I get that right? That's pretty, that's pretty yeah. good. Yeah, okay. no, that's good. <laughs> Not a plant guy, but you got it. Uh, <laughs> the, um, you know, the essence of it is if you could create it through breeding, and this is what we felt is very relevant and appropriate as well for quite a while now, yeah. well, why regulate it particularly differently? And yeah. so they've said that what's important actually about what they said, I think, Kevin, is that um, they um, they don't deem any unusual risk to be associated with those sorts of products. Okay. Right. And that's an important statement. Right. 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 And so they won't impose any additional regulation. Just that statement of its oversight, essentially, yeah. that's a statement of government reflection and yeah. assessment, I think is really important. So that's, that's good for the U.S. Agriculture is global. Yeah. And so you produce something in the U.S. and it gets shipped to 10 different places. Yeah. It's not sufficient that the regulatory path is in one place, right. um, you know, elegant, let's say. That's a nice transition because, yes, agriculture is global, but the uh, public and legislators' perceptions and embrace of GMOs mm. and, by extension, potentially CRISPR varies profoundly in these different regions. Yeah. So how, uh, first of all, in the U.S., let's talk North America, you gave a lot of nice list of examples. Are any of those actually literally in the field mm. right now? Mm. So um, I'll, I'll talk about some of the things we're doing maybe. So we have a first product that we are um, small launched this year, later this year in, um, what is it, 18, 2018? <laughs> That'll be, you know, planted next year in 2019. It's a specialty starch corn. Um, and uh, we picked it because, um, not because it's going to be a large acre success, but we wanted to establish a foundation of regulatory um, pathway and also um, understanding in the supply chain. Yeah. I mean, food is complex, getting yeah. from the farm, through the supply chain and millers and the food companies all the way to the table. And so having time with a small product that can be controlled in the market, 
to work through all those relationships has been part of mm. our design in picking that product. Mm. We have a whole host of other you know um, field trials going on, mm. um, everything from um, high oleic soybeans yeah. um, to disease resistant uh, crops of different types, yeah. um, and some other oil modifications. I mean, there's a whole range of work we're doing in rice, in corn, yeah. in soybean. Yeah. So it's just it's just happening. We're building our pipeline. And, and others are doing the yeah. same sort of work today. Yeah. Um, so coming back to the point about how will this be perceived, how will edited crops, edited food uh, be perceived? Um, it will be different regionally. We know that. We have, we're talking around the world to regulators. We're talking around the world to stakeholders. We're partnering with groups um, in Europe, in India, and Latin America. Um, we announced a relationship about a month or so ago with Embrapa, which is the leading um, Brazilian research organization focused on agriculture. It's like the USDA, only yeah. even more so in terms of yeah. scale of research and relationship yeah. with farmers. And now we're going to work with them on on editing of yeah. soybean and common bean, a really yeah. important food crop in Brazil. Yeah. How, though, uh, my perception is that in, in places like Africa, countries like Kenya and Uganda, for example, um, uh, not just the public, uh, because they've not really received the information, but the legislatures and the presidents in some cases, there's such a vehement uh, opposition based on to GMOs, yeah. based on uh, misinformation, fake news, yeah. retracted papers. How, presumably, you're, you must be thinking about how can you as an organization play a role in changing hearts and minds to yeah. see the potential and the, the lack of any significant health risks yeah. associated with these uh, breeding programs. Yeah, we think about it a lot. Yeah. And this, this issue of, um, say, let's call it social license for any new technology, yeah. acceptance of any new technology is challenging, yeah. and, and technology and food even more so. So yeah. I think there's this sort of inherent fear of something that gets put into food. Yeah. And so, you know, in my mind, in, at an emotional level, it seems that, you know, a GMO, which is bringing in a foreign gene, yeah. um, compared to it accelerating breeding, targeted breeding, yeah. should be seen differently, yeah. could be seen differently. Yeah. And we have to find the tools to help people do that, yeah. whether that's um, getting the right um, communicators who really yeah. understand and can connect and translate, yeah. right, language and ideas, right, about the differences. Yeah. Um, we know this is not going to be simple. Yeah. And uh, we're reaching out, whether it's, you know, partnering with, with um, different folks. We're working, you know, one of the reasons that we work with a group like CIMIT, which is the international um, organization focusing on maize and wheat improvement for the developing world, is to foster those kinds of really important products emerging in places like Kenya. So um, maize lethal necrosis is a viral disease that really is, is crippling for uh, corn production in, in parts of Africa. And Kenya is a good example. And our hope is that if you can deliver improved resistance, but using natural, you know, natural alleles, right, um, that maybe that kind of product will speak in a way that something that's foreign and coming yeah. from outside. And, and maybe the last thing I'd say is that I think it's important that it's being done indigenously, right? right? That locally, right. right? That, you know, getting Kenyan scientists to work on this yeah. and embrace it. It's not pioneer flying in and saying, here's yeah. a technology for you to use. Yeah. I wonder if just in closing, uh, we could just quickly talk about um, what might be some of the challenges in deploying CRISPR. We talked about some of the sort of the social and uh, maybe political, cultural issues. Um, are there any serious scientific challenges in the, in the human or the animal mm. field? <clears throat> obviously, there's a lot of questions about safety 
safety, about off-target mm. effects, about <clears throat> delivery, which organisms, right. which organs are going to be accessible. Um, in plants, you have gene guns and, mm. and things of this sort. Uh, safety, right. I guess, you can just breed until you're satisfied. That's true. So, w- are there any big uh, clouds on the horizon? I, I hate to be a, a, a cup half full kind of guy, but I, I, I really think having, you know, um, spent a lot of time dwelling on this, and we think about off types, right? I mean, we get asked about that a lot. Yeah. Um, but the truth is that I think that the, the risks are totally different in the human side, and you understand the human side, right? Yeah. You know, if you're inside, you know, engineering in vivo in yeah. the body, and you've got millions of cells, and one can be, you know, an yeah. off type, that's a problem. We actually have solved some of the delivery problems in plants and yeah. made it very efficient um, yeah. in a crop like corn or wheat or rice. Um, and, and, you know, the fact of the matter is every time you grow a plant in the field, one generation to the next, there's a handful of mutations that happen. Yeah. So the, the, um, any single, you know, additional mutation in our mind is way below the natural threshold of existing variation as right. we just produce our food. Right. And so um, we think for many reasons like that, that the off-type issue is ultimately a non-issue. And, yeah. you know, every regulator around the world will have to weigh in and think that through themselves. Okay. And so we're having those conversations. Cool. Well, Neil Corteva from... Uh, Neil Gutterson from Corteva. <laughs> uh, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Thanks very much for the information. And we look forward to seeing many Corteva papers in the CRISPR journal over the next few years. Thank <laughs> we you We look so forward much. to that. All, All right. right. Cheers. Cheers.